Well, I, um, I've been here almost 11 years as pastor here, first as an assistant pastor and almost seven years as senior pastor. And every now and then, I feel the Holy Spirit will lead me in a different direction for a Sunday. And it just happens periodically. Um, but this is one of those Sundays. And I, I, I remember just a couple years ago when that whole virus thing happened. You remember COVID-19? I know we don't want to remember it. But I remember when that happened, it was one of those moments where, whoop, what's going on, God? Um, you're changing everything uh, for all of us. And, and I do believe we're in a season uh, of that right now. And, and, and I wanted to pivot and change from, from my sermon series on Colossians, which we'll return to next week. And I wanted to address the topic of suffering. And the reason why is, to be honest with you, I have been overwhelmed I've been overwhelmed by the amount of suffering that's taking place amongst you, amongst this congregation. You know, I remember the days where there was one page of prayer needs, and now we're up to five to six pages of prayer needs. Now, a couple things are taking place. One, we're growing, and God is blessing us with growth. Um, but also, we're, we're aging, too, in many ways, and, and we're just seeing just a lot of needs taking place. But it's not just with elderly, it's with everyone, it seems. And I just thought, you know, Lord, what are you doing here? What's going on? And, and there's just a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain in our leadership, our elders, and in just a few moments, we're going to pray for our elders. And there's a lot of pain with our members, you, and it's been overwhelming. Um, I, I've been struggling, you know, just thinking about some of the stuff you're dealing with, thinking about those dealing with cancer and fighting with cancer for years, some of you. I think about the ongoing chronic pain that some of you are dealing with. I, I keep hearing back pain. I keep hearing leg pain, hip pain. Um, I think about all the emotional pain that I'm hearing. Uh, the anxiety, the depression, uh, the heaviness that many of you are dealing with. I think about those that are dealing with special needs children. Uh, I think about those who are dealing with special needs. I, I think about those that are dealing with recent losses to spouses, to, uh, to children, uh, to family members. I think about those who have Children who are older, who are running away from the faith. I think about those who are dealing with financial burdens. I think about those who are dealing with family dysfunction. The list goes on and on and on. And we're just in a season of pain, of trouble, of suffering. Most of us are in that season. And I'm looking around and I could literally know that because I know most of you in here. And most of you are going through something. And as I want to start this message, um, I, reflecting on a, I reflected on a book this week. Uh, it was titled, When the Roof Caves In. And it was written by a couple, James and Jill Stedford. They were missionaries in Asia. And one night, it was in the middle of the night, James fell off the bed and a big thud happened on the floor and it woke Jill up and she saw her husband almost paralyzed, he ended up having to fight spiral meningitis. 
And they were in Asia in a place where there wasn't a hospital. And so she's frantic and she, in the middle of the night, runs and she awakens all of her neighbors. She says, my husband's dying, help me. And Jill was able to get a handful of her neighbors and they, they went and they got a stretcher and they put James on the stretcher and they were able to get him on a boat, I kid you not, in Asia. And they shipped him over to uh, the, the nearest location where there was a hospital. And for days that turned into weeks, even months, Jill was thinking to herself, Lord, is my husband going to make it? It just seems like he's getting worse. Where are you, God, is the question she asked. And she said, please don't let him die. Well, it turns out after months of recovery, James ended up by the grace of God getting better and he improved and they were able to go back to their homeland of England and uh, finish out their days. But they wrote this book, When the Roof Caves In, and one of the chapters in the book is, Where is God When It Hurts? And their answer to the question was, God was with us then too. God was with us when we were going through that sudden tragedy that lasted for months that we didn't see an end in sight. He was with us then too. That's hard for us to understand, especially if you're finding yourself in a dark season, in a tunnel that's dark and you don't see the light and you don't see the end in sight. That is God really there with you as you're suffering. Well, where do we go to when we're finding ourselves in this period of pain? I would implore you to go to the Psalms because the Psalms is a divinely inspired songbook that is written about the highs in life and the lows in life. It's written about the triumphs that you face in life and it's written about the tragedies. I like what John Calvin said about the Psalms. He said, the Psalms are the anatomy of all parts of the soul. It's a songbook, 150 songs that were written that talk about the anatomy of our souls. I didn't know this, and you probably didn't either, but this week in my study, I found that 40% of the Psalms are laments. 40%, almost half of the songbook were laments, written by people like David and the sons of Korah, who were crying out in anguish and in pain, crying out to the Lord, Lord, deliver me from this pain and from this struggle that I find myself in. 40% of the Psalms. They were songs that were composed in a spiritual minor key. And for those of you musicians out there, you know what a minor key is. They were composed in a spiritual minor key. What I want to do for a few minutes this morning is look at Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a short psalm that David wrote, and it's a song of lament. And I want you to hear his cry out to God as he's suffering. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You know what's interesting about this psalm? We don't know the context of when David wrote it or where he wrote it. We don't know how old he was. We don't know what was going on. And I think that's a really, that's a really big blessing for us. It's a benefit to all of us because all of us can resonate with David. We know that he was facing some spiritual turmoil. We know that he was dealing with some emotional depression. We know that he felt isolated and alone, but we don't know exactly where he was or what was going on. But I think that's to our benefit because those of us who are hurting today can resonate with David's words. So whatever situation David was in, what did he do as he was in a dark valley? But there's a few things he did. The first thing that we see he did was he was honest with God. He was honest with him. He cried out to God. Look at verse one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Four times he asked the question, how long, how long, how long, how long must I endure this? Where are you, God? What is happening? Why do I have to keep going through this? Every morning is the same. I wake up with the ongoing pain that I dealt with yesterday. I'm tired of it. Help me. You know that saying, time flies when you're having fun? What about when you're not having fun? Time doesn't fly. Time moves slowly. Your life goes in slow motion when you're not having fun and when you're in pain and when you're in anguish and when you're in agony. And that's where David was. He was living in slow motion, singing the blues. And he's asking the question, how long will I have to go through this, God? And notice how it progressed in the four questions he asked. First, he said, how long will you forget about me forever? He's saying, are you gonna be there, God? Because I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like I'm not even in your radar. I feel like you're far removed from me and you don't care. What I like about what David did here is he was honest with God. He just poured his guts out. He shouted, he shouted, and he let it all out. You know that song, shout, shout, let it all out. That's what David did. He shouted it out. He said, Lord, how long will you forget me? But he didn't just say, Lord, you have forgotten me. He took it up a notch and he said, how long will you hide your face from me? You know what he's saying here? He's saying, God, you haven't just forgotten me. You've forsaken me. You know what the word forsaken means? It means premeditated forgetfulness. David is making a claim that God not only forgot about him, but that he intentionally has forgotten about him, that he intentionally has left him. That's a harsh claim. But David's saying, God, you have left me. You've forsaken me. How long will you intentionally hide your face from me and hide from me? That's honest. That's brutal honesty. And then he takes it up another notch. How long will I counsel my own soul? You know what he's saying here? He's saying, every day, Lord, I have to go through this. And every day I'm talking to myself and I'm just talking myself in circles down a, a rabbit trail. I'm getting nowhere. 
I'm giving only my self-counsel and my self-counsel is extremely negative because all I can focus on is the negative in my life. You know, someone once said that the problem with life is that it's so daily. David's saying, the problem with my life is that it's every day. I wake up feeling the same pain. I wake up feeling this emotional toil. I'm depressed, Lord. I'm only counseling myself. I'm not getting counsel from you. I'm alone. I'm not getting counsel from anybody else. I'm counseling my own soul and I'm getting myself in an emotional pickle. He refers here to a combination of what we call dark thoughts and uncontrollable emotions. That's what's happening. He was in a spiritual and an emotional depression, in a funk, in a dark and dry season. And he admits it right here. That's what I love about it. He admitted it. He said, Lord, I don't have it all together. In fact, I'm removed from you because I think you're removed from me. And then the last question he said here is, how long must my enemy be exalted over me? This is where we might get some of the context. This very well could have been when David was running away from Saul. But I didn't know this until this week, and maybe you didn't either. 15 years it took from when David was anointed as king from Samuel at a young age to when he actually became king. 15 years. So I would imagine this wrote, he wrote this song during that 15-year period. As he's waiting, he's saying, okay, Lord, you told me I was going to be king, and I'm, I'm, I, my expectation is I'm going to be king. I'm going to be over your people. I'm going to rule. Things are going to be good. But instead of being king, I'm alone in a cave. I've run away, and I'm getting, I'm getting death threats every day. This isn't what I had in mind as king. I'm not even king yet. Saul's still king. What's going on, Lord? 15 years God delayed some of you are in a season of delay and you're thinking, God, you're delaying what I, what I thought was gonna happen. You're, you've completely taken my life in a different direction and I don't know what to do. And David said, my enemies will gloat over me. How long am I, I'm gonna have to endure this, Lord? How long, how long, how long? David had had enough. He was in a wilderness. He didn't see any end in sight but he was honest, he was deliberate, he was direct, he was unhurried. The first thing that we can learn from David is that in order to embrace pain, we have to acknowledge the pain. In order to embrace the pain, we've got to acknowledge it. David acknowledged it right here, and that is huge. For the last couple of weeks, I've, I've uh, gone on a car search, and some of you are laughing because I've gone through a a series of a couple cars. I'm thankful for CarMax because they have this 30-day rule that if you don't like a car, you can turn it in. Well, the first car I got was my dream car. It was a truck, a Dodge Ram. I loved it. And I got it. I ended up having two leaks. I took it in. The engine blew. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? And so the engine blew. So I ended up getting another loaner. And then I got another truck and I'm, I'm looking at this one now and there's a rattle to the engine. And again, if you work for CarMax, CarMax has been great to me. Um, but I think I've just gotten a couple duds. But you know what? The engine light went on. And I knew I need to go check it out. I need to see what's under the hood. And that's what I did. And they said, yeah, your engine's blown. I was like, well, thank the Lord I have this 30-day period where I didn't buy a dud. But when I, heard the, when I saw the engine light and when I heard the rattle, I thought, okay, something's not right. And I took it in. Some of us don't do that. In fact, 
There's times where I don't do that. Where there's an obvious problem that you leave unaddressed. And you think, oh, this problem will just work itself out. I don't need to deal with this problem. And I see it a lot in marriages. As I, as I counsel couples, I see it a lot where you come in for a big issue that we need to address, but you kind of dance around the issue because they're like, oh no, we can't talk about that issue. Oh no, 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 we've tried and it gets us nowhere. And so we don't even need to go there. And you just learn to not bring it up. Well, that doesn't help. And so what I do as a counselor is I bring it back. Let's go back to that issue. We've got to deal with the elephant in the room, people. But so often we say, oh no, let's just shut the hood and let's just ignore the problem and it'll eventually work itself out. I'm telling you, it ain't gonna work itself out if you don't deal with it. That's what I love about David. The emergency light went on, the check engine light went on. He said, I've got to look under the hood and he started naming his problems. He felt forsaken by God. He felt abandoned by God. He knew he was in a spiritual depression. You know, the other thing we need to remember is it's important to give voice to things. He spoke to it. There's another Psalm where he said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, Psalm 32. What's he saying there in that Psalm? He said, when I kept things to the chest and didn't get it out, my bones wasted away. I I didn't give voice to it. And so I was just eating myself alive because I didn't take ownership of the problem. So if I'm describing you, I urge you, give voice to your problem. It's okay. God can take it. He says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. That's why he put his body on a cross and he died so that he could bear your pain. So give it to him. That's what David did. He gave it to God. He didn't hold back. He was direct. He was honest. He was deliberate. He was unhurried. In the same way, I would encourage you to do the same. What's the second thing David did? Well, he asked God for help. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. David is saying here, Lord, every day I deal with this. I wake up with the same problems. I'm tired of it. Help me. Please just consider me. Please answer me. Please listen to me. I feel like you don't even care. I need your help. You see, David believed that God could change his situation. He did believe that. I don't think he ever lost sight of that. And he was asking God for deliverance, but I like how he asked God for deliverance. He didn't look for the quick fix. And that's the struggle I have as a type A personality. I'm I'm a driven person. And so when I see a problem, I wanna fix it. And my assistant, Jan, and my wife, Stephanie, and my mom, they always tell me, just, you don't have to fix everything. Just chill for a second, just be. Yes, ma'am. David was just being. At this point, he's like, I can't fix this problem, Lord. So I'm asking you to help me. Consider me. Help. And then notice what he said here. Lord, light up my eyes. He's asking the Lord to put the light back in his eyes. Lord, just light up my eyes again. And I hear from counselors all the time, and I've seen it as a pastor as I counsel people. You can tell when someone's depressed by their eyes, if they've lost that light. You can tell by their countenance, when their countenance down, you can tell that someone's depressed. David was depressed. He lost that glow about him. He lost the light in his eyes, the sparkle in his eyes. And he's asking the Lord, please consider me, God. Please bring that light back 
so I can see you in this dark valley that I'm in? You know, it's, it's one thing to live in the light, but it's another to live in the dark. All of us, when we're kids, in fact, my kids are dealing with it right now, especially my youngest kids, we like to have the light on when we go to bed. Why do we like that? Well, it gives us a sense of security as we're sleeping in a dark room. We're worried about monsters. We're worried about people breaking in. We're worried about what's in the dark room downstairs. And so we want the light on. A good parent, and I'm working on this, a good parent will have a nightlight next to the bed and start there. Then we'll move the light to the closet. Then we'll move the light to the hallway. Then we'll move the light to a further bedroom. And then we'll eventually turn out the lights. Because what you don't want is you don't want your 27-year-old son to still need to sleep with the lights on. It's one thing to live with the lights on. It's a whole nother thing to live when the lights are off. The lights were off for David. And he's pleading with God saying, Lord, just turn the lights back on. And if you don't turn them on, at least turn the lights back on in my own soul so that I can deal with the darkness that I'm facing. David Jeremiah, I like what he said about this. He said, or rather Charles Spurgeon, let the eyes of my faith be clear so that I may see God in the dark. Let the eyes of my faith be clear so that I may see God in the dark. Again, anyone can sleep with the lights on. It's when we learn to trust him in the dark is when we really grow. David was moving in this song to being troubled, to starting to trust as he's in the darkness. And there's another thing that changed. His circumstance didn't change. He was still just living in a terrible situation. But his perspective began to change as he's writing out this song. And the third thing that happened to him was he reflected on the past. Verses five and six. I've trusted in your steadfast love, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David is looking back. He's reflecting. He's saying, I've trusted, Lord, in your steadfast love. I remember how you have blessed me bountifully is the word he used. Greatly, abundantly, beautifully. I can reflect back on the past and how you delivered me from uh, from my enemies, even from my own sin and gave me salvation. I can reflect upon that. Notice here what David didn't do. He wasn't thinking about the future like most of us do. When we're in a really terrible situation, what do we do? We want instant relief and we think about the future of what can be. David didn't do that. He's reflecting back on the past of what was. And because he reflected back on the goodness, he was able to turn the song from a sigh to a song of praise. Because he looked back and he reflected on God's goodness. In Psalm 9, verse 1, he said, I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. He was able to begin to be thankful because he looked back at all the things that God had blessed him, all the times God rescued him from the enemy, all the times that that God blessed him with a wife and with kids or, or even with brothers or whatever it may have been in that circumstance. But he's looking back on all the blessings God had given him. 
And it helped him to begin to change his perspective a little bit. And in verse six, we see where he ended. He was able to sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. You know, I wanna say something here that I think many of you need to hear right now. I needed to hear it this week. The same God who is there for you in the past is there for you now. The same God who is there for you in the past is there for you right now. David was able to remind himself of that as he reflected on the past. And I think it turned his song from depression into a sense of hope because he remembered and reflected on all the goodness of God. And he remembered that the same God who was there for him in the past was gonna be for right there with him now. But you know what I love about this psalm? Is that it did start with a sigh and it ended with a song. This is where David Jeremiah comes in. He said, in life, you can't take in the song without letting out the sigh. You can't take in the song, the music. You can't see the beauty of God and what he has for you without first letting out the sigh. And let's be honest, some of you have not let out the sigh. You've kind of put it under the hood and said, I ain't dealing with it. I ain't opening that up again. But in order for you to sing, it might require some digging. It might require you to voice your trouble to God and to cry out to him. You know, as I was reflecting on this week, I went back to a book by a guy named Michael Card. And Michael Card, he wrote a book about lamentations and just lamenting. And he said something I, I never thought of, but he quoted Exodus chapter seven. It says, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to say, this is Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. I don't know if you ever picked up on that. We know Moses wanted his people to go and God wanted his people to go, right? Let my people go but that they may worship me in where? The wilderness of all places. The wilderness? What? Why the wilderness? God led them to the darkness so that they could truly worship him. Some of you are in a dark place. Reflect upon this verse. God may be sending you in that dark place so that you could worship him in that dark place. How are you gonna do it? You cry out to him. You ask him for help. You reflect upon his goodness. You know, our elders have been going through a lot right now. It's kind of overwhelming. About half of our elder board is going through something major. One has recently lost a wife. A couple are dealing with spouses who are dealing with brain cancer or uh, brain issues. We've got one fighting chemo right now. We've got a couple who are dealing with um, hip issues or leg issues, just chronic pain issues. We've got some that are dealing with caring for aging children or older kids. We've got some that are dealing with job turmoil and distress and change. And I've never done this before, but our elders, they do a really good job praying for you. I'll be honest with you. I've been very pleased with our elders as of late, especially. 
You know, we, we get together twice a month and we pray specifically for whenever we hear about problems, we literally pray the list. And then we go to your homes if you're willing to have us. And I think last year we went to around 70 homes and we're gonna keep doing that. We hope to do more of that this year. But at this time, I'm gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna ask you to start praying for us because our elders are hurting. Your leaders, my friends, are hurting and they need your prayers.